out here in free life, but we love to worship the Lord. You guys doing well? Yeah. Um, I don't do this normally because, you know, it gets me in trouble in terms of then someone else would why didn't you say something about me? But one of the um, people here that do so, so much work, um, it, they work for us, but they're also just behind the scenes, just always going over and beyond is Cynthia, and it's her birthday today. Is she here? No, she can leave her. That's fine. When you find her... Okay, let's all give her a hand. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. It's great. She comes out of the bathroom. That had nothing to do with your birthday, Cynthia, I promise. I don't know why. I don't know why they clapped. She goes in the presence of the Lord, rolls on her, and she's weeping, and she comes back. That's wonderful. Um, I've been warning her since March. I said, you know your birthday's on a Sunday. She didn't think I'd do anything. So go give her a hug. Pay her taxes. I don't know. Do something wonderful. So... All right, so um, I want to speak to us this morning. If you could go to Judges chapter 6, please. I, this message is, again, something you guys have heard before, especially if you've been here a while. And um, just while you guys are helping my voice there at the back, I don't need reverb. I can promise you that. But I, uh, Judges chapter 6 is the story of Gideon. And I want to speak to us this morning about the church in this hour. And this is a message that God has put deep into my heart many years ago, um, but I also believe it's part of our lampstand as a church. Every church has a lampstand. Every church has something that is, in a sense, specific or unique to the church. Just before I took over this church, uh, took over the leadership of it, um, uh, I had two prophetic people, reputed prophetic people, give me uh, separately, didn't know each other, gave me words, almost the exact same word within two weeks. And they said, the Lord wants to speak to you out of the book of Judges, of the story of Gideon. And two weeks later, same, same prophetic word, different person, different nation. And so, you know, you're like, all right, I better go and do that. And so I began to study this, and the Lord began to really speak to me. And it's, it's something that I realize now, years down the road, it's not necessarily about, obviously, about a person, about me. But it was at the same time I was taking over, over the leadership of the church. And that's important. And the stuff the Lord began to show me, one of the main verses is Judges 6.11, which we'll get to. I heard about six months after that, someone else who is well-known, he preaches on TV and has his own show, he said the same kinds of, the same word, actually, the exact same sentence. And, um, and which is always encouraging to know you're, you know, hearing the Lord. But it's important to me that it was given to me by the Spirit because it's important to us. It's part of our DNA and it's part of who we are. And it is a very prophetic message, so there's a lot of symbolism and metaphors and so forth. So I trust we can stay with it this morning and stay with me. But this story is so wonderful because it's so honest. It's Gideon. You see all the issues. You see the daddy issues. You see the fear. You see the faults. You see. And so we all see ourselves here in this story. And if I was asked to give a blueprint to someone for an awakening, you know, the great awakening or a revival. It's not that these are methods that, you know, we just go through a method. It's not like that. But if I was asked 
to give someone a blueprint for revival, I would give them Judges 6, 7, 8, and 9. Because I see here a blueprint about when God starts to restore something. When we return, when God takes his people and he causes them to return in their hearts to him completely. And it's an amazing, it's an amazing, wonderful process. You get to see the whole process. So, if you could turn there. Now, historically, we're going to, I have to lay some foundation. It's going to take time. Today is a lot of, you know, when you hear a preacher say that, some people are like, okay, here we go. But we have to because we need to see it with the right lenses. And so historically, um, this falls in between God's people in the wilderness. They had come out of the wilderness, all the conquering territories with Joshua. Joshua dies, and then the book of Judges starts. It's in between that, like after they entered the promised land and conquered some things, in between that and the days of Samuel and David when the nation is established, in a sense, fully as a kingdom. And in between that period, God gave them a whole lot of judges to lead them. And you see the same pattern. They fall away from the Lord, they come back to the Lord. They fall away from the Lord, they come. It's kind of like today. So, so that's the consideration. And then if you'd like to go look at 1 Corinthians 10 and Romans 15, uh, it tells us that the Old Testament was written, I know we're in a different covenant of the, of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it says go look and see, in a sense, look at these stories with a New Testament lens. Like if you could put New Testament glasses on, you go to the Old Testament and you see it, what does it mean for us? Some of them, what do the names mean prophetically? What is it pointing to? What does it mean? And so the Bible says these were written as comfort and hope and warnings and examples for us to go and look at. So that's what we're going to do. So I, I know you just sat down. I wonder if we could stand real quick, real quick. You don't have to. I will take names if you don't know. <laughs> we will give them to we have bouncers. No, we don't. So I wonder if we could just put your heart, put your hand on your heart and just ask the Lord. And my dad already prayed it, which is interesting. It's just wonderful when the Lord is, we're all on the same page. Just ask the Lord to speak to you and to reveal things to you for your life over the next few weeks as we come to his word. The Bible says we tremble at his word. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray and we thank you, as my dad did, for your word. And I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we would see that you would change our sight, our ears, and let truth penetrate us, Lord. Bring conviction. It may not feel nice at times, but it's a gift. Bring change. Bring light in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. It's good to partner with the Lord. So, this, Judges 6 verse 11 says this. It's, give you the bottom line up front. Gideon threshed wheat in a wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. And when I read this years ago in 2013, 14, or 2014, that verse was the one that gripped my heart. And the Lord spoke something really deep into me and, you know, about the modern church out of that verse. Because the Midianites, as we'll do a little study in a moment, you'll see that represents the surrounding culture. Not that we fight flesh and blood. Who knows, we don't fight people. But there are elements to the culture, to the systems of the world that come directly against the purposes and plans of God. Often they don't even, they're not aware of it. They're just being them. 
but they come directly against. And the Midianites actually represent that. And what happens for fear of the culture, for fear of the Midianites, the church, the wheat, in the wheat often represents the word of God. We sow the word, you know, all through the Bible. And wine represents what? Who knows? The things of the spirit. Bible talks about new wine, put new wine in new wineskins. It talks about the wine that gladdens the heart of man. Obviously, that's practical in the Old Testament, but it talks about new wine. And it says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. All through the Scriptures, you see this, the, the, the wine of God, the wine of the Spirit. And so here, for fear of the culture, for fear of the Midianites, for fear of what people will say or what people will do or what that church will think or what we see a people of God under oppression and they've removed the things of the Spirit in a sense, and they've just put teaching programs. They've put wheat, they've put word, which is wonderful, but they've put it where the Spirit of God should be. He had access, Gideon had access to something called a threshing floor, which is actually how God designed it, the Spirit and the Word working together. Threshing floor, for those who don't know, they would take the wheat and they would put it like, you know, where the wind comes. What did Jesus say about the wind? The Spirit is like the wind. He blows where He chooses. So you look at the Old Testament with New Testament lenses, God designed it that the Spirit and the Word, they one. We say it's like this, they one, they're the same, they work together. And so they would bring the whole Old Testament as pointing to stuff. They would bring the, the, the wheat and they would put it on this ground and they would, you know, do this in their hands and they would fluff it up and down in the wind of the Spirit of God. The wind would come and blow away all the chaff and what would be left was the kernels, the pure seed, the... The, the, the truth, the revelation that God brings out of His Word. It's when the Spirit, and the, wind, the Spirit and the Word partner together, you're left with solid truth and life and revelation and change. He had access to a threshing floor. You'll see it later. He actually had access to it. But because he was so afraid of what surrounded him, he was putting the Word where the Spirit should be. And it leads to certain things. Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it, or for fear of the Midianites, as some translations say. So we're going to look at it through different segments, different steps. What happens when God's people forget God or forget His ways? What happens that leads to a subdued church? When there's a subdued church and the cry of God begins to develop in the heart, and when the cry of God begins to develop, the Lord responds, and He responds corporately, we'll see and individually. He responds to his people, and he raises people up. We'll see all of this. It's a really a wonderful story. But we go from a people that are worshiping false gods by the end of the story, a full, hunt, a full returning to the Lord, a people of God that forgotten him. Now they're walking hand in hand with him. They're taking steps of faith. They're risking with God. They know his voice. They've remembered God. They've remembered his ways. And that's what happens. So can we read? Judges 6, we're going to read the first 13 verses, and we won't even be able to preach through that all today, but we'll see. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because, because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, the strongholds, which are in the mountains. And so it was, whenever Israel had sown, the Midianites would come up, also the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel. 
which is, represents the church, obviously. Neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. It's very interesting with this text, the church in this hour, and what the church is facing. It's very, and that's why I believe the Lord put this on my heart to preach again. The church in this hour, the church in this land. They would enter the land to destroy it. They didn't want it, they just wanted to kill it. They just wanted to destroy it. That is the nature of the enemy, to kill, to steal, to destroy. It says here, so Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass that God just did it all by himself. No, no, it doesn't say that. It says it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, I brought you up out of Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, in other words, after that, I said to you when they were in the promised land, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joas, that's Gideon's father, the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, and why have all these things happened? But we'll stop there. So, still part of doing a little bit of a study. You guys good with a bit of study? The Malachites represent the flesh, the old nature, the sin nature, the flesh nature. If you're saved, that nature has been crucified with Christ, but it still has a voice. Who knows? That's real. Wants to come up, hello, I'm here every day. That's the sin nature, the flesh nature. And the Malachites actually represent that. My father did a whole series on that years ago. But it comes from what I call the firstborn nature. You know, you're born on the earth first, and you get saved, you get born again. That's your saved, that's your spirit comes alive unto God. That's who you actually are. But your first natural birth, it's the firstborn nature. Amalek was the, grand, the grandson of Esau. Jacob and Esau, Israel and the world, and it comes through that practical line, not, not just practically, obviously we're looking spiritually, and it represents the old nature, the flesh man, the sin nature. That's what it does. The people of the east, um, they're actually nomadic desert dwellers, no head, no authority, no purpose. Uh, it's very, very interesting, but we won't go into that. It's just overwhelming situations. Overwhelming situations. That's what they represent here and they have no purpose. It's like a false freedom. You know, we just wander around. We don't need authority. We don't need structure. Come to our type of freedom. Everyone just does whatever they want. Everyone has their own truth. Sound familiar? And it partners with the flesh, and it begins to overwhelm God's people. Midianites, though, with the main focus here, they are actually funny. When I was reading this, and as the Lord started to speak to me, I asked the Lord, Lord, are you really showing me all of this? because it was so profound to me, but you know, you don't wanna be weird. So I said, Lord, are you showing me this now? The Midianites are descendants of Abraham and his wife Keturah, so they were like related to the Israelites, but were not. They were, but they weren't. 
And as I prayed that, I'm driving down the road. We have a church property about, I don't know, a couple miles, seven acres, which is our future building site. And as I said that, they're building a new street. They're lifting up the street sign, and it says Keturah. And I was like, no ways. Okay. You know. And uh, so I realized I better, I better listen. But Midian, Midian means strife means strife. And there's a history there, but in Numbers 25, you, know, just, you can go look at it, and Numbers 31, Israel finishes their wanderings in the, in the 40 years, and they've now, they, they land to the staging area called the Acacia Grove just before they're about to go into the Promised Land. So they've been learning God, they've been learning His voice, they've been learning what faith is, they've been learning how to, who He is, and they've been, in a sense, me and the Lord in the closet. You know, we're great, we're praying, it's God, I love God, he's so wonderful, and, but then you go to work. You're like, why, why are you mean? You know, everything you've learned of God is now tested. And so they come to the, to the staging just before they're about to have breakthrough, just before breakthrough, just before they enter promises, and they encounter their first, like, false God nation, because they've been alone with the Lord, and it's Midianites, and there's a war, and the Midianite men, the Moabite men actually couldn't beat them, so the, the, they send the Midianite woman in to seduce Israel, and that works. And the chief of Midian sends his daughter, and her name is Cosby, and her name means my lie, my lie. He sends his lie, and he sends her, and she comes to this uh, prince of the Simeonite tribe, which means praise, worship, music. That's actually what it means. He's like the princess, comes to the little prince and seduces him. It's very interesting, to such a degree that they actually, and I'm sorry to be graphic, I know there's some kids, they go to where the tent of meeting is, they come together to the tent of meeting and they start being busy, we'll say, on the floor, in front of the whole congregation, in the tent, in the presence of God. So Phineas, he's like, no, which is um, uh, Aaron's grandson, gets mad because of the holiness of God, grabs a javelin and sticks him to the ground, kills him. And there was a plague breaking out and the plague stopped instantly. This is in the Bible. So <laughs> it's, they have an interesting history. That's their first encounter. Why? Because it's this first encounter with this, these people, first encounter with this culture and the systems of the world that surround us, we're like them, but we're not, because we worship the Lord God of heaven. And so it's exactly like that today. The system of the world will send in a lie, but it's beautifully packaged. It looks beautiful. It looks like entertainment. It looks like this. It sends in a lie to snatch and rob, to offer affection to snatch the praise out of God's sons and daughters, to praise right out of their mouth and offer it in the place instead of the presence of God. This is actually what's happening and it happens today, all the time. So, that's the history. So now we've read, so we'll start with first point. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, verse one. This is when God and his ways are forgotten. In Judges chapter two, it says this. This is the beginning of that part of the Israel's history with Judges. It says another generation 
another generation arose after them, after that being Joshua, who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. In other words, the miraculous. This happened over and over. Over and over. And they would turn to false gods, and then things would happen. And the Israelites, interesting here, it says they did evil in the sight of the Lord. That's what it's talking about. A whole generation had passed away that knew God, and a generation of God's people are raised up. They do not know him. They've never seen his power. They've never seen his presence. And a whole generation has risen, but they don't know the Lord. And that's what it means. And it says they did evil. Because of that, they walked away from the Lord and they started serving the Baals and the Ashtaroth. Ashtaroth pole or the Ashra. You know, like those old poles where they're the wooden things. It's called a wooden image as well in the story. It actually is like a false prophecy, but it's the God of love and war, and Baal is the God of harvest and spring and rain and, you know, money and stuff. You know what's crazy? That was the Midianites' gods. So the Israelites, they're at war. Think about this. They're at war with the, with the Midianites, and they're worshiping the Midianites' God of war. And they're stealing their harvest, and they're worshiping the Midianites' God of harvest. And so we look at that and be like, well, that's really dumb. Like, you're worshiping their God of harvest, their God of war, which is a false God, not even a real thing. And you wonder why you're losing. And we look at that like, oh, stupid Israelites. You know, they, they didn't understand. But it's the true in our day. When the world... When the church, the people of God, become enamored, fascinated by the same things that the world is enamored and fascinated and distracted by, and it snatches praise out of our mouth, it snatches worship out of our heart, and we start to look the same, and I'm not talking like, you need to be a good Christian. No, we all mess up and make mistakes. It's not about that. It's about the heart. But our heart, the intentions, the motives, the desires, what brings joy, what fascinates, what distracts, what I'm enamored with, it matches. And whenever that's happening in the church and they look like the world, when there's a battle, the church will lose. <laughs> that's what happens. When it's like we're worshiping the same people in a sense, we lose. Because that's not our God. And they are no threat to the enemy. And we lose. Why? Because a generation has risen that has never seen God's power. Real power. Never seen God's presence. And so, even now when there's a battle, when there's a fight, when there's a conflict, all we know is how to employ the same weapons, strategies, methods, protests, march, that, not that those are bad, but with the, all we know is to do what they do. All we know is act how they act. All we know is to have their strategy. We've forgotten his ways. And we lose. This is an encouraging message. <laughs> Similar affections, distractions. And that's how we get to where we got to. You end up with the people of God putting wheat where the wine should be. Threshing wheat in the wine press. Friends, the programs are not bad, 
Obviously, the Word of God is wonderful, but the programs and even entertainment in the church is not bad. Sometimes these things are good if they're there to facilitate what God is doing. If it's all we have, that's not healthy. And that's what happens when him and his ways are forgotten, his presence, his power, and his voice. It's been too long. It's been too long. In this land, there are people in our midst who have seen God's power. It's been too long. And we have a generation that all they have is what the world has. But they have got it. They say, oh, we we Christ, but they forgot his ways. And his power and his presence and his incredible love. And it leads to a subdued church. Encourage, be encouraging, I'm trying. <laughs> verse two, that's one verse. <laughs> verse two, because of the Midianites, because of the oppression of the culture, the people, the world, the system, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, the strongholds which are on their mountains. You can go and study that time in that period, and I have. This is not their natural homes. They left their homes. They left and they were hiding because a subdued church hides. They imprisoned themselves, literally. They put themselves in bondage. They imprisoned themselves. A subdued church hides away. We go into closed doors. We go, the, the culture pushes the church back into your church, back into your home, and we live out our faith behind closed doors. We'll leave you alone. You leave us alone. And the biggest fight that we think we have is to make sure that we have the right to continue to do that. Oh, it's a lie. We are the ones, not us amazing, him, with life, truth, love, authority, with offering eternal. The Bible says, Paul says, he is a debtor to the wise and to the unwise, to the Greek and the barbarians. The Bible says we owe the world something. They owe us nothing. We owe them. It's the exact opposite of the two commissions given to us by the Lord. To Adam, multiply, fill the earth and subdue. Take authority. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go, expand, multiply. The oppression comes, we hide. Leave us alone in our church, in my home. We can just do our thing. We'll leave you, you leave us. That's not what the scripture says. And the big fight becomes We are upset because you're trying to take away the right for us to do this. To do what? To hide in dens and caves and strongholds? That's a subdued church. That's a subdued church. But a generation that all they know, they think, that's what Jesus said. When I build the church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's not people. That's the spirit behind That's not little gates coming against you. That's us kicking the doors down. Not in flesh, not in hype, with God's ways. And the subdued church loses its harvest. What does it say? Whenever Israel had sown, this is crazy. Whenever Israel had sown, the Midianites, the culture would come up and partner with the flesh, distract, enamor, fascinate. And the people 
of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth. That's crops, crops, harvest. The Bible says Jesus talked about the harvest as people getting saved. That's the harvest. The Bible says the harvest belongs to the Lord. He says they would destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. That's the laborers. They would use those to, you know, prepare the field. So what happens? A subdued church loses its harvest. Busy sowing, sowing, being a church busy being busy, but no transformed region, no transformed hearts. We just sow, sow, sow. But it, it's, it sounds a lot like the parable of the sower. And Jesus said, you sow the word, but it'll come and snatch the seed, the deceitful, the, 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 the pleasures of this world, these things will come and take it away, thorns will grow up, take it. It's the same thing, just in a different language, in a different covenant, in a different time. They would destroy the produce of the earth, they snatch the harvest, we sow, we sow, we sow, busy being busy. Church is busy, and a generation is raised up in a church that's busy, never sees a harvest. Am I talking to someone? And then they steal the laborers, the oxes and donkeys. I'm not calling you oxes and donkeys. Well, I mean, some of you. No, I'm just not calling you that, but that's laborers. And they get snatched up, kept busy elsewhere. And says they would enter the land to destroy it. It's not even to rule it nicely. Just destroy it. Destruction. Why? Because it belongs to the Lord. And the enemy, the spirit behind, just says, destroy it. Just, just, just destroy it. So it says that Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. We could say the church was greatly subdued or impoverished because they had been subdued by what surrounded them. And it says they were left without sustenance. So they be, without sustenance. So we become languished, weak, struggling, no joy. And an entire generation rises up like that and thinks, that's Christianity. That's going to church. And it's not. Then they see those crazy olds in the corner, like, in my day. But sometimes they, they're trying to remind you of something that you've never seen. And a cry begins to develop in the heart. God, there's, there's got to be more than this, God. Let's go read. So Israel, verse 6, was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel. So, it begins to develop a cry, and I was going to speak about this for a little bit, but I, I'll, I'll just say sometimes when the Lord is, in a sense, forgotten, even His ways, and there's a generation that, that it's like they don't even know what to do, but they can't settle. There's something in them that starts to rise up and says, God, 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 there's got to be more, you know, for yourself, God. I want to want you, but I don't. Move on my heart. It's a cry. 
or for the nation or for the state of the church, a cry begins to develop. And we have to learn, develop, because it's forgotten in our day to cry out to the Lord. It's forgotten in our day. I'm, I'm not just, I'm just being blunt. <laughs> it's forgotten largely. There's the few that, that, in a sense, know what it is to give yourself to cry out to God. God of sovereign supernatural. To cry out to God. And it's forgotten, so we forgot his ways. But eventually the cry will begin to develop and we have to allow it to develop in our hearts until it outweighs the fear of what it may cost. That will begin to happen. And it builds in the heart and it builds in the heart for whatever the cry of is. But we have to actually develop the cry. I wish I could take time to talk about that, but develop it. And it's like people say, oh Lord. People say, I, w- I, wanna, I wanna pray you know, like that. And, and so then they want a class, an instruction. Can I just tell you the honest truth? People who really pray, who really know how to pray, no one taught them. Because no one actually knows. The Bible says we don't know how to pray as we ought. But they made a decision. I'm going to cry out to God. No time with God is wasted, even if nothing gets happened. And I'm going to stand in the spot and cry out to the Lord. I don't know what to do. I don't know what it looks like if I'm doing the right thing. And so you start with, God, teach me how to do this. Anyone who does that, start it there. Because you can get a thousand messages on it. And I'll just confuse you. So the cry is developed. I used to put, I still do, the staff, they see me, Cynthia will tell you I'm strange. They see a blanket on the ground. That's just because of a private journey. I would put a blanket on the ground. One day I got so fed up in, inside in righteousness. I put a blanket on the ground. I said, Lord, I will not leave this blanket until you talk to me. Even if I die, here I stand. Many hours, about a day. Something comes up inside you. And we have to develop that. And for everyone it's different. For everyone. For everyone it's different. For some people it's worship. But then the church arises. We have to end this on a good note. We can obviously be a couple weeks here. But then there's the response of the Lord. And the Lord will respond corporately. And the Lord will respond individually. My scripture is here, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. It says here, the Lord sent, there's a, there's a I don't want to say a blueprint or method, but I see this, what I'm about to say, over and over and over and over and over and over through across many covenants all through the Bible, the same process. It's this. Came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and I brought you out of the house of bondage and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians. What's that? Salvation, right? Out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all those who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. When the church 
begins to arise, God begins to restore things. He's very good and gracious and he begins to restore things. Firstly, relationship. When God revives, he restores relationship. And by that I mean the voice of the Lord to his people. And he breaks through all the doctrines and all the stuff that say God doesn't talk like this today, God doesn't do that, all of that stuff. And he breaks through that. He says, my voice is alive today. And he starts to restore his voice. Yes, through the word, but more than that. It will never contradict this word. We must see the prophetic restored in its fullness. We must see the prophetic restored in, in, its, in, in, in healthiness, in truth. The word of the Lord coming to people across the Bible from the beginning to the end. God spoke to people. And we've come up with all these fancy doctrines because we don't hear the Lord. All the way through. And when the cry goes to God, he will, in there, here he sent them a prophet. That was in the Old Testament. He restores his voice because his voice is life. His voice is creation. His voice is freedom. And he begins to speak. He restores his voice. We must see the prophetic restored. For me, words of knowledge, now it's just for me, it's different for everyone. They break through all the stuff. When you see a stranger and he says, this happened, and you just read their mail. What do they say about that? They can't say, this happened to you when you were the three and this. And Now it's not like that for everyone and I understand. I understand, but there's multiple ways God speaks. But when God speaks, it has life and authority and he restores his voice. He injects his voice into the situation. And people begin to have a hunger to know the voice of the Lord. And that's why we go to this word. So that if the voice of the Lord comes and says, kill your friend, you're like, that's not, I don't see. That's not the Lord. It's really simple. You know, basic. And we want to learn the voice of God. And so study this. This teaches you what he sounds like. And he begins to restore relationship. He begins to restore relationship. I love you. I want to partner with you. I know you. I made you. I'm your father. When God revives, he restores the truth of the gospel. The gospel becomes a wonder to us. Even if you grew up in the church, you're like, oh, the gospel of Jesus saved us from sin. No, no, no. It becomes incredibly wonderful. He says, I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I took you out of the house of bondage. I did this. I, he reminds you of the truth of the gospel and its incredible wonder. And the Bible says, for the power of God, the gospel is the power of God. And he reminds that. And the gospel, it starts to, it's like it comes alive inside of you and you realize I've been conveyed from one kingdom into another kingdom. I don't belong to you, devil. Even when I make mistakes, you still have no authority over me because I'm not yours. And something starts to come up inside. That's how God revives. He restores the truth of the gospel. We want the 15th floor, everything else, but it's all built on the foundation of the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's where the power lies. That's where the truth lies. That's where freedom lies. 
Then when God revives, He adjusts our focus. He restores our focus. And I don't mean the ability for us to be better disciplined Christians, read the Bible every day. Not, not that. That too, that's great. He adjusts where we focus. He reminds us. What does it say? It says here, I drove out, I drove out all who oppressed you and gave you their land. What is he saying to them? He's saying, don't forget I have a plan. I have a purpose. I did that. I gave you. I changed you. I set you up wonderfully. I have a spacious place. He reminds you, don't feed on all the negative things. Feed on what I've done and what I'm doing. Don't feed on all that stuff. There's no empowerment there. Honestly, friends, sometimes switch it off. Switch it off. Whatever it is, you know in your head what it is for you. Switch it off. Give yourself one week. I need to know what's going on. Really? Yes, we need a step today to understand that. Do a test. Switch it off for a week. Now, if you're stepping out in faith and God's using you to challenge things, and that's wonderful, and God's called you that, that's great. But that's not every person. Some person, it's destroying them. Worry, fear, doubt, anxiety. Oh, I need to pray. Jesus, okay, I love you. Yeah? In social media, you know? The great lie. I'm having a wonderful day. I love Jesus. Crying. I'm having the best day ever. Everyone's like, oh, look at their life. Their life is, oh, please. It's like high school. No, it's like elementary school. I brought you up from Egypt. He reminds us what he's done and reminds us where to focus. Don't focus there, focus here. And friends, we know this, but it's hard to do because we have a generation, I included myself, I include myself, that has been raised up that in a sense in our day that's forgotten God and his ways, we are accustomed to being fascinated with that stuff. Since the formation years, that's what we've known. So it's hard to suddenly adjust. But what if it's necessary for God to move? He reminds us, where are you focusing? Where are you focusing? Think on, think on these things, the Bible says. Think on things above, heavenly things. And courage starts to enter your heart. When God revives, he restores, most of all importance, who he is. What does he say here? Also I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. You know, we read that I am the Lord your God, we see it all the time because it's in the Old Testament. But you know those are two separate things in the Hebrew? I am the Lord, that's separate to your God. Because he was speaking to his people. If you're speaking to a Canaanite, he would have said, I am the Lord, their God. I'm the Lord, their God. 
he's telling them, I am the Lord of everything, but I'm also your God. I'm yours, you're mine. I'm the Lord, whether they like it or not, but I'm the Lord, your God. He reminds us, friends, who he is. In your crying out, I encourage you, I'm not trying to make you afraid of God, but don't forget to whom you speak. This great God, Jehovah, Elohim, Yahweh, I create, he created everything. And that's what he's saying. Don't forget who you're talking to. I am the Lord El Shaddai. I've been around forever. I made all that you see. I made those people. I, who are you talking to? Who are you going to compare me to? Who do you think I'm like? Do you think I'm like you? Don't forget to whom you cry out and whom you pray to. I am the Lord God Almighty. And he reminds us of that. Oh, and it shakes you when you see it. It shakes you. I've told the story before. I don't know why. Just on my heart now. After a little while after I got saved, I was praying and it's like I started to, in a sense, hear the Lord in my head. Some of you have experienced that. One sentence. I'm not a man that I should lie. And it shook me. It's like it overwhelmed me. Because the thing that was overwhelming me was this. I'm not a man. And I became, the fear of God fell upon me. I actually went near the of my bed. As if that's going to do anything. Sure, that'll stop the Lord. A little bit, little bit of wood and a comforter. But the fear of God gripped me. It wasn't like, oh, he's bad. No, he's not like me. He has all power and authority and might. And that gripped me. I'm not a man like you. I am God. And I suddenly, it's like my life adjusted. Okay. Wasn't fear. He didn't scare me in a sense. But it's the fear of the Lord was no longer a statement in the mouth. It was real. And the Lord says, hey, my son, I love you. Hey, oh, thank you, Father, and I, I need you to do this. Yes, yes, Dad. The fear of the Lord. When God responds corporately, he will restore his voice. He will restore the truth of the gospel. He will tell us where to focus. And then he reminds us of who he is. But in the background, he's starting to raise up a deliverer, a leader. He responds corporately, but he's doing something privately at the same time. You know what I love about that? That I don't know if Gideon was one of those who cried out to God, but it says that people cried out to God and God starts moving upon this guy's heart. There is no general in the history of Christianity that alone can say, I was praying that much. No, it's the people cry out to God and so God will raise someone up. It's not just the person is special. It's the cry of the people. And he raises up someone to remind them. But today, he's actually waiting for the army of the Lord 
me, us together. So we're going to look at this story. In the next week, we're going to see how God deals with Gideon. I tell you, it's so refreshing. He is so full of doubt. God speaks to him, and he's like, uh, is it you? Mm, I'm not sure. I'm like, oh, someone else does that. It's like, okay, I'm going to make a sacrifice. He didn't ask for a sacrifice. He's like, then again, are you sure it's you? Are you sure it's you? I'm going to put a fleece. Are you sure it's you? I'm going to do one more time. Are you sure it's you? And the Bible says he was terrified. And he's afraid. And then he has to send the people away if they're struggling with fear. How humble, humiliating do you think that is? You're struggling with an issue in your life. And then you've got to tell people, if you're struggling with this issue, you can't help me. You're struggling with it. It's a wonderful story. It is God's blueprint, I believe. And I prophetically, with all my heart, I believe it's where the church is in this hour. Right here. Can we stand? I encourage you to go home and read it. Ask the Lord to speak to you. And we will trust that the Lord will give us some corporate responses that we can do and partner with. Dad, can you come pray for us? Is that all right? My dad was actually friends with Gideon back in the day. So that's why he can pray for us. Yeah, one of the people he sent away, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can tell you about Gideon then. Yeah. <laughs> tell you what he looked like. <laughs> Father, we are we're eternally grateful for who you are and that you do not change. No matter the circumstances or what happens, you do not change, Lord. And uh, your word says, even when we are unfaithful, you cannot deny yourself. So you cannot be unfaithful. You're always faithful. Thank you. Thank you. You keep reminding us of things. You keep showing us again and again. Your word says you're patient. You're long-suffering, incredibly patient. And I thank you for that. And so I thank you for what you're doing in this hour, for the hearts that you're turning and reviving, for lives restored. Thank you. Our heart is to see you at work. Our heart is to see the name of Jesus truly exalted, that people would see who Christ truly is, not watered down, not what man thinks, but he is the Christ, the Messiah, the King. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we have uh, two quick announcements next Saturday right here. We've got Encounter Night, so come out and have a wonderful time of worship and seeing what the Holy Spirit will do. Yes, this Saturday, sorry. Six days from now. And also, if you're on a serving team, we just wanted to say thank you for all that you're doing to partner with us here in the church. And if you're not on a serving team and interested in it, then please do so. Have a great week. Good morning, Free Life Church, and happy Sunday. We are so glad you've joined us today. We would love to connect with you. Connection cards are a great way to let us know if you're new to us, any needs or comments you may have, 
or how we can connect with you. To submit a card, simply scan the QR code on the back of the seat or visit the Connect page on our website. If you are a first-time visitor, please stop by the Connection Corner in the lobby to receive your welcome bag. We look forward to meeting you! Our next encounter night is coming up on Saturday, June 11th at 6.30 p.m. Plan to join us for a wonderful evening of spirit-led worship. Childcare is provided. Today is the last day to sign up your grad for our time of honoring graduates on June 12th. If you have a graduate in your family, please register them on our events page. This includes any age and any school or institution. If you have completed our discovery course and made the decision to become a member here at Free Life, we invite you and your family to be prayed over during the service on June 19th as an official welcome to the family. Please sign up to let us know you plan to participate. Join us as we celebrate with those who have decided to be baptized. Water baptisms will be held on June 26th after the service at the Denise House in Purcellville. If you would like to learn more or sign up to be baptized, please follow the QR code or visit our events page. We need you. Check out our new Serve at FLC page on our website. There are many opportunities to serve here at Free Life and you can use your gifts and passions to make a difference. Two urgent needs are needs in the Kids Place team and the AV team. Help us shape our children's lives around the truth of God's love. Or go behind the scenes on our AV team to help ensure a seamless Sunday experience. Follow the QR code or visit our website to volunteer today. Here at Free Life, we believe in kingdom giving and we invite you to give towards the work God is doing. The easiest way to give is by scanning the QR code here on your mobile device. Checks or cash may be dropped in the connect box at the back of the sanctuary. We thank you for your partnership with us. Stay informed of upcoming events and important announcements by signing up for text updates and our newsletter. Simply text free life to 41400 to sign up. Remember to learn about all our upcoming events. Please see the events page on our website. Thanks for joining us today.